Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Well, you guys, I'm so happy, excited to introduce Lyle Camp as our guest speaker today. Right? We love Lyle. Lyle is just such, he's such an awesome guy. He has such a beautiful family. And um, I'm just really, really, I know y'all are all excited to hear him. But um, y'all have been here since 2017, That's right? That's right. Yep, 2017. Uh, been here almost, yeah, so four years. So, again, uh, there's so much I could say about how awesome Lyle is. And he's just a, just a real genuine guy. He's just got a real big heart for Jesus. And uh, it's just a privilege. I work side by side with Lyle, and it's just an honor to be with him every day. So I love you, man. Thank you, man. Love Excited you, too. To hear you share. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? I'm a little nervous. I'm a little nervous. I'm trying to keep it cool. I'm actually, like, less nervous than I was when I did the stand-up comedy night. How many people were here for that? Okay. I was more nervous then because if you don't laugh at my joke, you know, I might take it personally. But if you disagree with something I say this morning, then you're in sin. So it's easier today than I think. Um, No, I'm really excited. Like Courtney said, I've been here for four years. We came a month after uh, Lucas was born and um, he'll be five in January. Um, so I'm basically going to try and, you know, lighten the mood, make a few jokes until I feel comfortable, you know. So uh, I, I prepared for this sermon like, you know, a pastor would. I uh, grew my facial hair out as long as I could. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is what I came up with. Um, I woke up early this morning and meditated slash went back to sleep, and um, my wife picked out my clothes for me. And um, she even offered to do my makeup, but I said, I got this. I can do it myself. That's a joke. I picked out my own clothes. <laughs> um, Clint asked me to preach. I think it was back in uh, late May, I think, early June. He asked if I wanted to preach, and I said, yeah. I just right off the bat, I was like, absolutely, I'd love to. And a few minutes went by. And it started to sink in, and I was just like, I texted him, and I was like, oh, God, what did I get myself into? And uh, he was like, you'll be fine. Just, you know, speak from your heart. And I was like, no, that's the title of my sermon is, oh, God, what did I get myself into? <laughs> Listen, so um, Clint said that I get a dollar for every amen I get today. There's one. And I get $10 for every person who cries, so there's going to be a lot of condemnation in this sermon. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, I wanted to keep it simple today, so I, uh, you know, just really light, keep it simple, share what's on my heart. So I titled the sermon, uh, Devil Bad, God Good. So we'll just get right into it. Devil Bad. All right. Okay. There's another dollar. Uh, God good. All right. That's it. I'll, I'll take my $1,000 now. We can move on to lunch. All right. So um, I'm going to read Mark chapter 4, 3 through 8. This is, okay, we're getting serious now. All right. Now I'm not joking anymore. But uh, so I'm going to read this verse and then go into a little bit about my personal history in the church. Uh, Here we go. All right. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no crop. 
But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. Um, we're going to circle back to this verse, and I'll explain to you why one or two added in this morning. But before I get into my church history, I just want to preface it by saying, um, growing up, everybody at my church, um, all the lessons I learned were given with, with the best intention, um, the greatest intention. I honestly think that those people had my best at heart, and um, they were just teaching what was taught to them. So um, I in no way am holding any grudges and um, learned a lot of good lessons over the years from those churches, but definitely had to do a good bit of unlearning. Um, I've basically been in the church since uh, I was born, and uh, very performance-driven, legalistic church settings. Um, the churches I grew up in were, um, they overemphasized your performance. Um, they overemphasized uh, God's mood was very much dictated on your behavior. If uh, you know, if you were doing well, he was pleased, and if you weren't doing well, he was displeased. And uh, that's kind of a that's kind of a toxic message to uh, to hear that the Creator of the universe um, based his mood off of whether you do good enough, and it wears you out, it wears you thin. Um, so I was I was in youth group. I'm like in the Hall of Fame youth group. I'm like the MVP of youth group. <laughs> Bethany and I went to youth group together. She could tell you when the doors were open, I was there. I was like the coolest guy at youth group. I had so many pre-programmed responses to people. They'd be like, hey, what do you think about this? And then I'd tell them, they'd be like, man, that guy's good. He's good, you know? He really gets it. He really gets it. And then I'd walk around the corner, I'd be like, oh, God. Oh, my goodness. I think that was a little bit of confrontation there. I think they thought I was cool enough. Like, that's, that was it. That's, I basically spent my entire youth career trying to, trying to make people believe I was cool or that I was holy or that I was righteous enough. Um, and uh, so the churches I grew up in taught me, they taught me how to look like an eagle but fly like a turkey um, was, is basically the best way I can put it. Um, you know, turkeys only fly for two events in their lives. One is when they're flying to their nest to go to sleep, so they fly when they're tired, and then the others when they fly because they're scared. And that's pretty much a great picture of when I would walk out of the picture of youth group. Like, if somebody challenged me and I got scared, I'd be like, you know what, I'm walking away from this situation. Or if I was just tired from serving or whatever, I'd be like, you know what, I'm, I'm getting out of here. There was no restoring of strength or energy. There was, it was, you look good, but you don't feel good inside. And um, I, I like how Jesse puts it. He says, I, I was basically a, a painted trash can, you know, a nice, pretty surface, but on the inside, I was, I was kind of hopeless. It was, almost like, it was almost like God was a distant grandfather. You know, um, you go over to his house. He knows your name, but he doesn't want you to touch anything. He doesn't want you to go in his study. Like, he's very temperamental. Ah, no, don't do that. No, no, don't run in here. Huh? No, 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 don't touch that. And he's like, can you get a, control of your kids here, for goodness sake? Like, that's how I, I pictured God. And so I was walking on eggshells, making sure I was keeping him happy. So that, I mean, that was 14, 15 years of my life was, was memorizing how to function out of that that place, memorizing how to uh, tell people what Bible verse they should read. Um, I remember I was so insecure about my relationship with God that I would um, I would oversell um, to people how good it was. You ever feel like you do that? Like if you're insecure about something, then you go way over the top about it to you know try and get people to think that you're. You're not insecure. So there was a, I would always quote the scripture about um, when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he says, you know, some of you will, 
will come to me and will say, we prophesied in your name, we cast out demons in your name, and, and he'll say, you know, depart from me, for I never knew you. And I'd tell people that scripture all the time, and I'd be like, do you really know God? Do you know God, or do you just know about him? And, but I didn't know God. It was like I had a baseball card with God's stats and, you know, facts on it, and I'd read it off, and I'd be like, this, 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 and, but I'd never actually met him. I'd never experienced him, and that was driving me insane. It was, it was creating such friction in my life that we, after we had Brennan, we stopped going to church, um, we moved to Alabama, and at that point, it was pretty much like, I'm just tired of playing this game. I'm tired of the back and forth. I'm tired of pretending. I'm tired of acting. Like, I'm just, I'm done. I pretty much hit a crossroads of where it was like, God, like, if you're real, like, you're going to need to show up because I'm just about to walk away from this completely. And... Um, so I was starting to, to feel some internal turmoil, and uh, we got a job. And it, here's what's crazy. The entire time, God is continuing to be faithful to me, and I'm just, I'm, you know, writing it off as, you know, well, that's just because of, you know, this happened and that happened, and it's because of me, and, and you know, God's being faithful. We prayed when we were in Alabama. We prayed to come back up here. We didn't know what opportunity it was going to be. Um, I'm thankful that Bethany's prayer carried more weight than mine because <laughs> we might not ever ended up here. But, yeah, I was like, yeah, God, you know, just we want to be up there. Bethany really wants to, so whatever. Um, but I, I ended up getting a job at Sky Zone, which is a, a trampoline park. And when you're going through some internal turmoil, the last thing you should do is get a job managing 60 teenagers. <laughs> That's like the last thing. I thought for sure, I was like, this is great. I'm still a teenager in my mind, so this will be good. It was awful. It was, it was absolutely awful. I mean, the kids were like, oh, I can't show up to work today. And I'd be like, why not? And they'd be like, well, I don't want to. <laughs> and I'd just be like, you're not even going to give me an excuse. That's, that's it. That's, you just don't want to. And they're like, yeah, 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 I don't, you know, I'm good today. And so I'm such a pushover. I was like, all right, well. If I fire them, that's more paperwork. And then I have to rehire somebody, which is more paperwork. And then I got to train that person. All right, well, just, you know, make sure you come to work on your next shift, you know? Like, <laughs> that, was, that was my motto, basically, come to work on your next shift. And so when they weren't there, you know, I had to jump into their spot. And uh, it was just, it was another toxic atmosphere. Um, so we, we moved up to Noonan. I was working at Sky Zone, and um, we just had Lucas. Uh, we moved back to Peachtree City, um, and we had just started coming to church here. So all these things were kind of in motion and moving around. And um, I've never, ever experienced anxiety or depression in my entire life. Never. Always easy, you know, happy-go-lucky guy. I'm the youngest of five siblings, so it was my job to entertain the entire family. Um, so I was, you know, I was super easygoing, and I would, you know, do anything at the drop of a hat. Oh, we want to do this? We want to get, like, anything. And um, I had an anxiety attack when we moved back to Peachtree City. It was actually the Friday um, after the first Sunday we ever attended here. And um, I remember I was sitting in the pew, and uh, Clint said, uh, you know, put your head down, say, I'm righteous. And, you, you know, how do you feel when you say that? And, man, it was like a bomb went off. It was like a bomb went off. I was like, I'm righteous. And it was like the accuser, the devil was like, eh, eh, ain't no way. Absolutely not, you're not righteous. Look at your thoughts, you know, look at what you do. And I was just like, oh, this isn't good. So we went home, and that week I was just battling with this, like back and forth, and like, oh, you know, what I've been doing back here and doing this over here, I've not felt righteous, and like, this is, this can't be. And that, you know, coupled with 
having a newborn baby and then and then being in the middle of a move and then on top of 60, you know, teenagers who are, you know, honestly terrible. Um, for those who are watching that were good, you guys are good, but you know the bad, you know who you are, the bad ones, see? Um, so I just had, I just had a massive, uh, a massive anxiety attack. And I, I really don't mean to make light of any of this. I know um, that it's, it's a tough, real thing that people go through. But personally, looking back on it for me, um, I, can, I can laugh at some of the stories. And uh, that, you know, if you're in the middle of it or you're just coming out of it, it, uh, it may be too fresh for you to be able to do that. But for me, like, I plan on laughing when I tell you some of my experiences. And I'm OK if you do, too, because they're funny. I know that sounds a little weird, but just follow along with me. So we, I had this anxiety attack. I um, was about to go to work, and I started thinking about the kids at work. And I was just like, oh, god, you know, who's calling out today? What am I going to do? And, um, and so I start, I start hyperventilating. You know, very slow at first. It wasn't like I needed a paper bag or anything. I was just like, I feel weird. You know, I don't, I don't feel good. And uh, I walked downstairs into our bathroom and looked in the mirror, and my face was just white. And I was like, that's not good. That's real not good. <laughs> and then uh, before I knew it, like, when you hyperventilate so much, your oxygen and your blood, they, like, go to your heart and, you know, vital organs. So they go away from, you know, your hands and your feet and you know, stuff like that. So I'm hyperventilating, and as I'm hyperventilating, my hands just start going like this. And like, I'm like, oh no, oh no, this isn't good. And I'm like sitting down, and I can't move my legs. And I'm like, Bethany, I don't feel anything. And she was like, you want me to call an ambulance? And I was like, look at me. You know? <laughs> yes, call an ambulance. Call right now. And so they. It, God bless our paramedics. Let me just say that. Because they, I mean, the stuff they have to put up with, these guys knew right away. They knew right away. They came in the door, and they kind of looked at each other like, oh, God, you know. Let's take your pulse, sir. And I was like, I'm dying for sure. And they were just like, OK. It's, it seems like you're having you know, the classic symptoms of a panic attack, of, of an anxiety attack. I was like, are you sure? Like, you know, does it feel like you're dying? And they're like, yeah, why not? Yeah, that's sure. <laughs> and so, you know, when a, when a medical professional tells you you're not dying, you know, you're just like, OK, good. And that is what calmed me down. They left, and I was, I was just in tears. I was like, oh, my goodness. And, but that experience right there pretty much dictated and controlled the next two years of my life. It was. Um, it was avoid, avoid this anxiety here, avoid this anxiety here. Like it absolutely controlled everything I did to the point where things that I used to do, you know, as carefree um, as I did were now absolutely terrifying. I uh, used to play basketball a lot. I would, man, I would like s skip out on Bethany to go play basketball at the park for hours. And uh, we lived right close to the park, so most of the time she was pretty cool with it, I think, right? Yeah, she's cool with it. This is a guilt-free sermon. Um, but I remember specifically one time uh, some guys wanted to get together to play basketball, and we left the house. And I just started thinking about, like, what if I have a heart attack while I'm playing? I'm 28, 29 years old, in good shape. I work at a trampoline park, so I just jump around all day long. But on the way to the court, I'm like, what if I have a heart attack for some reason? You know, like, what if that just happens? And it, it controlled me so much that I told Bethany, I was like, I just, I want to go home. Turn the car around. I want to go home. And at that point, she wanted me to play basketball. Like, it was like, you need to get out. You need to do stuff. And uh, God bless Bethany, because she put up with me for so long of my own self-pity and whininess. Uh, Another funny story is Jesse and I were on the way to work. Jesse used to work with me. And, well, he just still does now. We just work together with uh, Travis at Rooted and Grounded. But um, we were driving to work. And uh, do you guys know that if you go to the fire station, they will take your like stats and pulse and stuff for free? 
somebody told me that, and I think they regretted it, because I was like the fire station's number one fan. I should have taken them cookies every time I went. But uh, a guy I worked with was like, yeah, I was feeling weird the other day, so I went to the fire station, had them you know, look at my, my uh, whatever, my pulse and all that stuff, and I was like, you can do that? He was like, yeah. He was like, and since you don't ride in an ambulance, it's free. And I was like, oh, buddy, yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So me and Jesse were on the way to work one day, and uh, <laughs> he's talking to me, and I'm not listening to a word he's saying. I'm just so in my own head about, oh, here we go to work, oh my goodness. And we're uh, over by Whitlock Fields, which is kind of across the street from Shenandoah Boulevard, and uh, we pull up. We're like driving over the bridge, and my hands are on the steering wheel, and they just start crumpling over the steering wheel, and I'm, just, I'm like, Straight is to sky zone, but if I go left, I know there's a fire department. So um, I pull over, and Jesse's like, Jesse kind of looks at me. He's like, where, work is this way? And I was like, I need you to drive, you know? And he was just like, oh, God, oh, God, you know, undid his seatbelt. And I was like, <laughs> like moving over. I was like, ha, ha, ha. And Jesse's like, what do I do? What do I do? And I was just like, drive. For God's sakes, just drive the car. And so... And so he, you know, he, we book it. I'm like, turn left, turn left. I had all the routes to every fire station memorized. I was like, take a left here, it's a shortcut. He's like, shortcut to where? I was like, the fire station, we're going to the fire station. And so we pull into the fire station, and this, this wonderful gentleman comes over and opens my door for me, since I can't open it myself. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. We walk into the door, and it's the fire department people know right away. They're like, oh, here we go again, you know. Have a seat. I'm like, thank you. They're like, you need some water? And I'm like, yes, you know. And uh, They're like, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, I think I'm dying. And then they put, you know, they're like, let's check his pulse. And they say the same thing, you know. They're like, you're fine. This seems like, a, you know, symptoms of an anxiety attack and I was just like okay I, in my head I knew it was an anxiety attack I just needed affirmation but uh, so they started talking to me about what I did for a living and I told them right off the bat I was like I work at Sky Zone they're like what do you do there and I'm like I'm the manager and they're like how many you know people do you have under you and I was like 60 teenagers and they're like you need a new job and, <laughs> and I was like you think so <laughs> Uh, yeah. Absolutely. So, so me and Bethany started praying, and we'd still been going to forward at this this time, and I'd been meeting with Clint a little bit about it, um, and um, we'd been praying about a new job, and Clint kind of walked me through uh, meditation and. You know, growing up in a somewhat legalistic church, you view meditation as like hippie talk, you know, like weird, no, that's new agey type stuff, that's not for me, but I think he said one time, he was like, you meditate more than you know, it's just worry, that's just what it looks like, is, is worry. He was like, what if you could meditate on the good things? And so I went to his house and he kind of walked me through a real simple beginner's course of meditation and... Uh, I knew that that was a discipline that I wanted to, to learn if I was going to try and overcome anxiety. Um, so I kind of had a little hideaway at work. When things got too crazy, I would, <laughs> I would get up on the roof because that's where nobody could find me. I had a walkie-talkie. You know, I'm not an irresponsible manager or anything like that. Of course, I would turn it off before I went up there. <laughs> I don't want to be distracted while I'm meditating on the clock. Um, <laughs> No, I'd go up there, and uh, I'd just sit, and I would just try and calm down and relax. I remember one time I was sitting on the curb, and <laughs> one, of, one of the kids that worked there walked in, and I was, like, crying. And he was just like, are you okay? And I was like, I'm fine, you know? And he walked in, and I was like, that's probably not the best message to see your, your manager who's 15 years older than you crying on the curb while you walk into work. It's like, I got to get, I got to, you know, pull the reins in here. Um, so, yeah, I started, I started getting on the roof, and I would just sit up there and, and meditate, and, man, this one time, it was awesome. This was, 
this was the, the first time that I experienced God the first time. And that, that was what I was really lacking is I was very analytical and um, I knew all about him. I, you know, I knew about Jesus of Nazareth. I memorized scripture verses, but I'd never actually met him until I was on the roof that day. And um, I was just sitting there and I was praying and meditating and um, I saw Jesus and uh, he was, he was, covered in blood and scars, and he had his crown of thorns on, and, and I had no idea what to do. And uh, I kind of walked up to him, because I was like, I'm going to give him a hug, you know? That, I want to I hug him. And he stopped me before he hugged me, and he said, all this, like, this, this is not for you. The, the blood, the scars, the beatings, the thorns, that's not something you get to experience. That's, that's mine. He's like, you don't have to have any part in this. And he, he spun around much like the transfiguration, and he was wearing all white and no scars, no nothing. He was completely clean. And then he was like, you know, he embraced me and gave me a hug. And uh, that, was, that was powerful. And I had, never, I had never really looked into Mark 4, and that was a verse that wasn't on my radar in a long, long time. But he began to talk to me in my meditation about uh, my heart being the soil and looking at the seeds that I'd been putting in for, you know, 25 years. He's like, what are you putting in? This is, this, is, this is bad seed. This is producing bad fruit. This is stuff that's only going to lead to death and destruction in your life. And we've got to replace that seed and I went over and I told Clint about that, and he was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's Mark 4, man. And I was just like, wait a second, are you for real? Like, you, Jesus spoke to me in, you know, Scripture that I don't even remember? He's like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's how it works. And so from that moment on, man, it was just, it was a fire, kind of a renewed fire in me to get into the Word and to read Scripture um, and really kind of explore the facets of the terms that I'd been hearing Grace, you know, New Covenant, Spirit. Spirit was a big one. And so was grace. We sang that song, By the Grace of God. When I was growing up, when somebody would say, I did that by the grace of God, I had no idea what they meant. Like, hey, how'd you do on your term paper? Oh, I finished it last night by the grace of God. I would just be like, what does not going to hell have to do anything with you finishing a paper? Like, I've got no idea what you're talking about. So that was a, a term that I really wanted to dig into. And spirit was also one of those new agey mystical things that wasn't really taught much of in church growing up. Um, but that was a huge part of, of what I wanted to learn. So that was, that's kind of the first part of the testimony is just, I called it the, uh, the great facade collapse in my life was just when all these things kind of culminated and fell apart. And uh, I experienced Jesus, and it changed my life. But it didn't come in the way most people might think. He didn't blow down the doors. He didn't, you know, kick open the windows. He didn't point at me and say, Lyle! You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was, it was like a still, small voice and uh, just influence. Just, hey, change your mind about this. Change your mind about that. So um, I'm going to read now Romans 12, verse 2. I'm sure everybody knows that one. This one was a big one. All right. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Excuse me. So... I always looked at that verse, not understanding what it meant, really. Um, conform means to be squeezed, means to be pressured, means to take on the same form. Um, and so I look at the, do not be conformed to, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So there's a difference between being a product of something and being a product in something right? 
Like if you go to Walmart, there's products of Walmart, and then there's products in Walmart, okay? There's Sam's Choice Cola, there's Dr. Thunder Cola. <laughs> we all know that's just Dr. Pepper, right? Like there's, there's products of Walmart, which stay in Walmart, never see the outside walls, and then there's products in Walmart that are from somewhere else, right? When we say yes to Jesus, we become a product of somewhere else. We're a product of somewhere else operating in this world. That's all it is. It's as, it's as simple as that. Now, how do we stay, you know, away from conforming to the world? It's by changing our mind. We look at the world differently than they look at it, and we change our mind about little things. And changing the mind is a, is a very interesting thing. Has anybody ever heard of Dr. Joe Dispenza? He's a neuroscientist. I love listening to the guy. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't think he's a believer, but he's got very practical applications on uh, changing your mind. It's almost like modern-day parables. Um, so this was one of the things that I wanted to read. Y'all bear with me. Um, but he said, by the time we're 35 years old, we become a set of memorized behaviors, emotional reactions, beliefs, perceptions, and attitudes that run like automatic subconscious programs. So 95% of who we are is a set of memorized behaviors that run like a computer program. So a person that's using 5% of their conscious mind to work against 95% of what they memorized, that's, oh, that's almost impossible, right? You're using 5% of your conscious mind to work against 95% of your subconscious. This is by the time you're 35. Now, I'm not 35 yet, but I've got four kids, so I'm like actually 60 years old. <laughs> It's, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So that's whether people choose to suffer, whether people choose to be unhappy, whether, you know, we talk about people behind their back, whether we live by the addiction of anger or aggression, whether we choose to have a victim mentality. This is all, you know, mentalities that we choose to have subconsciously. You think about it, people have an addiction to that victim mentality, and they can't seem to break it. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the definition of insanity? Yeah, making the same decision every day, expecting a different result. That's, that's insane. That's, and how many times do we do that? We can't seem to break the cycle. We, we just we go about the day, and we wake up, and this, today's going to be different. Today's going to be different than it was yesterday. And then we subtly start making the same decisions we made the day, the day before. And that produces the same outcome, that produces the same emotion, the same result, everything. And then it's, we're just stuck in that spot again. Grace empowers us to make different decisions. Amen. Every day. Grace empowers us to make different decisions. Um, so that's what I had to do. That's what I had to to commit to was being quiet enough to let the Spirit of God inside of me influence me to make different decisions. And, it's, and like I said, it was a day-by-day -day process. It wasn't like one day I made a different decision and I was all healed and the anxiety and depression was gone. It was literally walking out of it until one day I looked back and I was like, you know what? I haven't felt anxiety in a while. I haven't felt depressed in a while. Like, that's how subtle it was. And I'm not saying God can't work in the big ways of where it's just like, boom, it's over, you're healed. He does that a lot. But for me, in this you know, specific scenario, it was subtly walking out, learning new disciplines, new behaviors, different decisions every day. And they were small, too. It was just like, um, hey, instead of having coffee this morning, have water. I was like, all right, I'll have water. It's like, hey, uh, instead of eating this, eat that. Like, just practical wisdom. And I wasn't, I wasn't looking to those things to be my, redeem, my, my redemption. I wasn't saying, oh, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm getting over anxiety by drinking water. <laughs> you know, I'm getting over anxiety by changing my diet. That's not what I was doing. I was leaning into God's influence in my life. I'm trusting God that when he tells me to do this, that it's going to do something. 
So if he says, eat something different, I'm going to eat something different. He said, go to bed early, exercise. I'm going to do those because he's influencing me. He's telling me, I've, I've got the secret. You know what I mean? I, I wrote the manual on this whole thing called life. I know how to best experience it. And I've got the best for you. And I just need you to listen. Like, that's, that's how we do this. We work together on this. So I did that. And like I said, I, I walked out of it. And it was slow and steady. Um, but, you know, I'm standing here today telling you that I'm completely delivered from anxiety and depression. I mean, Amen. you know, by the grace of God, um, <laughs> I could say that. So now, I, you know, I want to talk about operating in the spirit. And this is really, um, really the monumental thing that is able to sustain um, all the goodness in my life now and moving forward. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Turn there or press the buttons on your phone. Did anybody ever do Bible drills growing up? We had this thing there where you had to hold your Bible in front of you and they would, they would shout out a verse and you just like, you would flip to it. Man, I tell you what, if I had a phone back then, I'd have been cheating. Okay. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. I love this verse. This was a verse that uh, helped me walk out of where I was at. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So like I was saying, I didn't, I didn't understand the facets of the Spirit. I didn't understand um, its role in my life. Um, while I was going through anxiety, I had no idea what that meant. I, I really didn't know how to operate in the Spirit. I, when we were taught growing up that the Holy Spirit's a part of the Trinity, you know, in my mind, I thought it was a ghost. And I have basically checked off, all right, I'm never going to see the Holy Spirit because, you know, he's a ghost and... I'm just not going to be one of those people. But I realized how practical it was. It's like, no, the Spirit is given to you. And I'm also going to read John 14, 23 through 26 in a minute. Um, but the Spirit is here to help us understand, um, to help us operate in the world, and to give us wisdom and everything we could ever need. Um, so that verse really helped out a lot because... And in context, um, he's talking about how the Jews had a veil over their face and they couldn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah when he was walking on earth. But we can, because now we have unveiled face. We see Jesus for who he is. And he's the spirit that's living, working, operating inside of us. Um, flip over to Romans 8, 3 through 6. I love this whole chapter. Goodness gracious. This chapter right here, I would sit on the trampolines before Sky Zone would open, and I would just eat this up. I would sit there, and I'd read it over and over and over again. But um, specifically 3 through 6. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, to the things of the Spirit. All right. For to be, I'm sorry, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That verse right there summed it up for me. I look at when it says uh, that we might be fulfilled. I'm sorry, that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us who don't walk according to flesh but according to the Spirit. The righteous requirement is fulfilled in us when we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. I had to basically forget all the habits of my flesh in order to fulfill the righteous requirement by 
you know, living by the Spirit, letting the Spirit work and through me. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to stay here for a second just because it's so good. Um, this was one, I'm telling you, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That was one of those things where I had to retrain my mind because that's what anxiety does to you. It, it lies to you. It lies to you. You feel, I'm telling you, anytime my finger went numb, I was like, here we go. And I was like, no, 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 that's, that's flesh. Just, you know, start thinking in your mind. Because when you are at peace with God inside, what happens is that starts to manifest outwardly, starts to manifest physically. If you let what's inside um, influence, you know, your body, you're going to be good. Because what we usually do is we let our five senses dictate to us what's going on. Smell, taste, touch, hear. There's another one. I can't think of it. Um, but we let that dictate <laughs> what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm touching. Like, if it's not good, that's going to hit us, and then we're going to take it inside, and it's going to influence how we feel inside, and then it just becomes a, you know, a circle. It's just not good. So you break that by saying, I'm at peace with God inside. I'm at peace with the creator of the universe inside. Nothing outside can harm me. I mean, physically, sure, but inside, I'm at peace with God. That's all I need. That's all the assurance I need. Um, John 14, 23 through 26. I love this one. Um, and this will be the verse that I close with. Uh, Corey, or Courtney let me borrow his Bible this morning, which I really appreciate. Uh, this dude's got notes in here for days. I'm talking. I used to do this sort of stuff just to look cool. But he actually did this because he, you know, wanted to memorize it. But for me, I would literally, in youth group, I would open up the Bible and just start underlining. And, you know, so if somebody got a hold of my Bible, they would just be like, wow, this guy really digs into the Word. I told this story. I stuck a Bible. I kind of folded it up, you know, like this, into the back window of my car so that the sun would beat down on it and the leather would wear. I'm telling you, I walked into Bible like, or I'm sorry, I walked into church with a Bible that looked like it was an original manuscript. <laughs> like people were like, wow, that dude really, I mean, look how worn out the leather binding is. He must be in that thing all the time. And I'm like, sure am, you know. <laughs> this is, I'm in here all the time. The ladies loved it. Look, I, I got her with it, right? <laughs> She had no interest in me, but when I showed her the Bible, she was just like, goodness gracious. <laughs> All right. John 14, 23 through 26. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I think I'm at the wrong spot. No, that's right. 23 by 26. I just got to keep going. Sorry. I thought that was it. 25. Here we go. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The helper, right? The helper, not the controller, not the commander, not the taskmaster, but the teammate, the helper. There, there was a beautiful picture um, in the Paralympics this year of what that looks like. Um, so anybody know what the Paralympics are? It's essentially the same thing as the Olympics, but with uh, Paralympic athletes, so people who have disabilities. I was watching with Bethany and the boys, we were watching the uh, Paralympic triathlon. And the Paralympic triathlon's broken up into nine classes. I won't get into too much detail, but depending on how severe the you know, disability is, they put you in a certain class. Um, I watched Brad Snyder, who was visually impaired. He was a former a uh, member of the Air Force, I believe, and uh, EOD blew up and took his vision from him. He was doing the triathlon, which if you don't know is uh, swimming, 
biking, and running. And so the Paralympic triathlon for vision impaired requires that you have a partner to do the entire race with you. Um, you get a tandem bike and your partner who can see will be in front steering and guiding. And so the partner, Mr. Brad Billington, or Greg Billington, was partnered up with Greg Snyder. When we watched this, I was almost brought to tears, and the boys, you know, thought I was a silly old man watching it, but uh, he, Greg, the, the partner that could see, he was, he was doing everything for Brad Snyder. Brad Snyder was out there. They were swimming shoulder by shoulder, swimming shoulder by shoulder the entire time. They get out of the water. They run to their bike. Brad's holding Greg, guiding him. He bends down, uh, puts his shoes on his feet, puts his helmet on, gives him water, then gets him on the bike, then he hops on the bike, and they're off. The entire time, he's talking back to him, encouraging him. Then they go from the bike to the run, helps him off the bike. They walk over. Brad changes uh, Greg's shoes. I'm sorry, am I getting Greg changes Brad's shoes. There we go. Takes his helmet off, puts on a belt that keeps him attached, and they're off running. The entire time they're running, he's giving him water. He's handing him water, he's pouring it on top of his head, he's keeping him cool, he's encouraging him, he's talking, and uh, they ended up winning the gold medal, which was really cool, which was absolutely awesome. And um, there's a saying in running that if you wanna go faster, go alone, but if you wanna go further, go together. And I thought this was super cool that in the, the regular Olympic Games in Tokyo, the man, the single man who won the triathlon, Christian Blumenfeld, he won with a time of one hour and 45 minutes. He won the gold medal in the triathlon, one hour and 45 minutes. Guess how fast Brad Snyder and Greg Billington went? They did it in an hour and one minute. An hour and one minute. And uh, the reason why is because Two people generate more speed on a bike than one person. I mean, that's the most physical way you can look at it. But, I mean, imagine someone in your ear the entire time encouraging you. Come on, you got this. We need to go up. We need to speed up a little faster. When you have somebody who's encouraging you, who is your teammate, you have an unfair advantage. You, are, you, are, you have an unfair advantage. And that's what we have with the Spirit of God working inside us is an unfair advantage. This game of life, like, we're, we're cheating, it feels like. Anybody who is not spiritually minded would say, how do you do this? How do you navigate so well through life? I feel alone all the time. I feel like I, I don't have anybody with me. And you say, I got the Spirit of God giving me wisdom, helping me make decisions at every turn, you know, giving me grace to operate. Like, it's an unfair advantage. And it's a call to, uh, to mature believers to operate in that place because when you know you have the Spirit of God, when you know you have all of His promises, everything that He's paid for you to have. Now, this is a personal revelation, and, and you may disagree with it or not, but I feel personally like when, when I experience more of God, I, I need Him less to show up and fix things for me. That may sound controversial, I don't know. But when I experience more of God, I am aware of my rights as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I'm, I'm aware of what he's paid for me to have. And so when you're aware of that, you know what you can do. And so you go to God to spend more time with him, to fellowship with him more, instead of saying, oh God, I need you to fix this for me again. Like that's, that's the mark of a mature believer, is when... When you make the right decision the first time, instead of asking God to show up and fix the bad decision you made. That's huge. We watched a movie a while back. What was it called? The time-traveling one that Clint likes. What is it? No, not The Matrix, but he, he loves that movie. 
He, gosh, he brings that up every chance he gets. I'll, I'll forget what the name is, but it's about a, uh, a guy who uh, travels back in time just by like closing his fists and going into a closet. He can travel back in time. And me and Bethany were talking. About time. Yes. Thank you, Riley. It's called About Time. It's a good movie. It's, it's precious. But um, uh, we, me and Bethany were talking after the movie was over, and I said, wouldn't that be cool Like if you could just... Oh man, that was a dumb decision. I, I'm gonna go back because that's what he did in the movie. It was full of those those you know moments where he was he'd go up and talk to a girl and he'd make a complete idiot about himself and he'd be like, "Excuse me for a moment," and then he'd go and he'd relive that moment again and try better. I was like, "It'd be cool if we could do that." And then it kind of hit me. I was like, "Wait a minute. What if what if we didn't have to travel back in time, you know, to fix a mistake? Like we've got the Holy Spirit saying, "Don't do that. Don't do that. No, 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 no. You know." Like, we don't have to make a mistake in the first place. Now, yeah, it's going to happen, you know, but we have an unfair advantage in that way. Like, he is guiding us at every moment if we just slow down and we listen to him. Um, and I'm going to close with a story. Um, there was a guy who was um, stranded on a lifeboat, and he was praying, you know, looking to the heavens, God save me. Please, Father, deliver me from this. And uh, the wind blew, and there's a tarp on the lifeboat. And the tarp kind of folded back and uncovered a, an engine for the lifeboat. He was too busy looking at heaven. He was praying, oh, God, you know, sort this out for me. Please save me. And the wind blew again, and it uncovered gas cans on the lifeboat. And, oh, Father, please, Lord. Come down from heaven on a cloud and deliver me from the middle of this water. The tarp flew off completely. There was food, water. There was a satellite phone on there. Everything that the guy needed was already on the boat. And uh, he was too busy asking God to fix his problems. He didn't see that God had already given him the answer right there. Um, and that's what we need to do. I, I, you know, refrain from using the word need, sorry. But that's my encouragement really is. Um, we are stronger with the Spirit of God inside of us. And uh, I don't know. I, it gets me real excited moving forward in my life, knowing that at every intersection that uh, the transformational power of God and the Spirit working in and through me can help me navigate through anything. So that's all I got, everybody. Thank you for coming today. I guess, uh, I guess we'll have some uh, members of the prayer team up here, and I'll close us out in prayer, and, and we can uh, get on with the weekend. So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for how you love us and take care of us. Um, thank you for providing your spirit to us, God, to help us in every situation, giving us wisdom, guiding us. Thank you that we can come to you whenever we, whenever we need, whenever we want, Father, and you can give us the wisdom. Uh, Lord God, I uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here today, God. We love you so much, and uh, we thank you for everything you do for us. That's in your son's name we pray. Amen.